Have you thought about starting your own podcast? Well, if you have, then you want to download Anchor. It's the easiest way that you can make a podcast. They give you everything you need in one place, and it's absolutely for free. You can use it right from your phone or your computer. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll even distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere, like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and others. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you were thinking of starting your own podcast, you want to download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Right, we are back with show number two on this Saturday. So, if you missed the All Star panel, I highly, highly recommend you check that out after this one, of course. But you check that out. There was so much great information that was shared in that. It was a li- little bit over an hour. It's worth anything else that you're gonna watch today. Is take some time and check out that episode. And so, if you are new to the channel, if you're joining me on uh, YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. If you're joining me on Facebook, please like and please share. And if you're joining me on the audio on the podcast site, how about a five-star review? Help help a guy out. Thank you very much. And if you don't know who I am and why you should be listening to me, this is who I am. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not gonna see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again. And all that stuff, I was like, you know what? Like, I wanna be able to take this even bigger. If you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. you got to know your work. All right, so before I bring on my guests, we have to do the teachable moment of the day, and this is going to be about forgiveness. Not forgiving someone else. I want you to forgive yourself. If there's any type of wrong that you did in your life, I want you to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? That happened. You're not that person anymore. I forgive you. That way you'll be able to move forward and accomplish great things in your life. I know it sounds cliche-ish, but it's true. It's 100% a fact. Like you, you cannot give outward inspiration if you're hurting internally. So whatever it is that weight that you're carrying around, forgive yourself for it release that weight so you can find happiness. That's all I got for you with that. So now my guest, so she was actually on my show a few months ago. It was a debate style show. And she's she's a young gal. 
And just as I was listening to her on that show, it was like she just looks at the world with such an, an amazing lens for someone at such a young age. And so, because we hear so much about the, the, the young people nowadays that, that they're all radical and they have no work ethic and this and that. And I'm not one to lump people all in the same box, but just listening to her, I was like, you know what? I want to get, get her on an individual interview and just pick her brain even more and just see why she thinks the way she thinks. She's backstage now. I see she was covering her face. She's nervous. There's nothing to be nervous about. Come on, Ma. Let's have this conversation. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Where, where are you joining us from? I'm, I'm, I'm coming from Florida. Florida? Whereabouts? Um, specifically Windermere. I'm specifically like living in Summerport right now. So it's okay. really warm, but we might get a cold front soon. So that won't be fun. A cold front. Don't talk to somebody from the north about a cold front. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It might hit 60. <laughs> I just don't like the cold. <laughs> no, I hate it. I don't, I don't like the cold either. Like once, I keep telling my kids, once they're, they're grown and, and out, I say, I'm moving somewhere where spring is spring and fall is fall. Because <laughs> here it goes hot. We get fall for about two weeks, then it gets cold. Right? Then we'll get spring for two weeks, and then it's hot again. <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's like I want a good, solid, you know, six to eight weeks of just mild weather. Because it's, it's always one or the other extreme here. It's crazy. I'm in Rhode Island, by the way. All right. So were you born and raised in Florida? No, I was actually born in Accra, Ghana with okay. my sister who's a year and a half older than me so we were born there but we weren't technically raised there because mm -hmm. our family moved around a lot first we spent some time in ghana then we moved to zimbabwe while i was starting out elementary school yeah. then we went to germany when i was going to start in in middle school and okay. then we moved to america when i was about to start high school and i also went to college in america so i kind of stayed in america after that <laughs> Okay, so USA was high school and college. All right, because we're gonna we're gonna talk about all that. All right, so first, how would you describe yourself? Like personality wise? Just in general. Like hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'd say I'm someone who tends to overthink sometimes. I'm someone who asks a question with the question, then I ask myself even more questions. Like, what am I even talking about? Where, how did I even get here? But I try to make it as simple as possible so I'm not kind of aching in my mind. So I try to keep things as simple as I can, but then sometimes it just seems like situations are really complex that maybe this is not for simple thinking. Maybe I have to think kind of enigmatic sometimes, even though sometimes it just kind of, I just want to stop thinking because I have too many things in my head at times. <laughs> but if I were to describe myself, I'd say I'm a friendly person, you know? I mean, at first, if I don't seem very open, it's because, you know, I don't know you. So, but yeah. if you got to know me, I kind of don't stop talking. I talk about <laughs> anything I want. <laughs> so, I mean, so at first I might seem shy, but as you get to know me and like kind of break through that wall, I'm actually a very nice person who doesn't really take well to mean people. I mean, if you're mean to me, then I might be mean back or I might just say, yeah, you know, just stay away from me, you know, because, yeah, I just don't like rolling that way. Yeah, just just ignore the mean people like they people people are mean because they try to get a reaction out of you. 
if you don't give it to them, then they'll leave you alone. And in yeah. most cases, <laughs> you know, most cases. All right, so let's talk about how much do you remember from your elementary school time in, in Africa? Oh, well, it was definitely warm. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, my mom and dad, they were always busy off to work. So my sister and I would always have babysitters and a nanny taking care of us. But they were very nice, you know, especially our nanny. And, um, you know, my sister and I were kind of, we kind of had a big house. So we'd always like play. And I always remember how we had a specific study that it would always be a mess. And our mom would be like, mm-hmm. can't you clean it up? <laughs> when we do clean it up, it's like, wow, is this the same study we always make a mess out of? We're really good at this. <laughs> so in regards to school, elementary school, hmm, I'd say it was very spontaneous. I would be a kind of a firecracker. I would be all over the place, energized, kind of crazy, you know, kind of like a wild child. And I would try my best to make friends. And then, hmm. I guess I wasn't the nicest girl. I mean, I would be nice, but I remember mistreating this very nice girl in my class. Oh, yeah. oh, oh that's so yeah. good. I got to reread that out loud recently with my daughter mm-hmm. last year, and it was so fun to read it again. I loved it. I love that book. <laughs> I can tell your face lit up when you started talking about it. <laughs> How many kids do you have? I have two daughters, 11 and 14 right now. Ooh. No fun ages. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's a really, it's a really, actually a really nice time. Like, I, I think this is, you know, every, every time has its challenges, but I think this is a nice time. Because the last thing I want is to make someone feel bad about themselves and feel like something's wrong with them, because that's just not a good feeling to have. I mean, I know what it's like, so. Very true. So how different was it going to school in Germany versus Africa? different dimensions to each stage (laughs) but we'll we'll get into that later all right so child book illustrator so how would you describe your your upbringing oh uh really uh i don't know in a lot of ways it was like very very funky and had a lot of freedom i got to like run around bristol we have i lived not far from a small little rocky beach and i used to Mm -hmm. like go down there. I used to go down to the candy store (laughs) and buy bubblegum a lot and play, you know, just we had a lot of freedom. Um, But, you know, thinking about parenting, you know, my parents had a lot of the tools that, uh, you know, everyone of our sort of generation, their parents had, which was a lot of like the behaviorists, like uh, kind of using sort of threats or punishments and spankings and things like Mm -hmm. that. And that, um, for me, it was like a, a real disconnect between this encouragement to like have this creativity and this freedom. And then, then, you know, I, there would be this kind of like harsh discipline that was really hard for me to handle. Like I was a very hard, highly sensitive, highly sensitive person, right? HSP. And I was a highly sensitive kid. And so I felt things really deeply in it. And that was, um, that was really hard for me. And it was actually, it's kind of funny. Like I had all the you know, there's research about uh, things like uh, corporal punishment and spanking now and, and the, the things that it sort of like you're, the kids who have that are more likely to do drugs in high school and like have, you know, all these these challenges. And like, man, did I do all those things in high school? <laughs> it was really amazing. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, so we had <laughs> we had a belt called the Black Master. <laughs> that, that's what we got we got our, our punishment from. Well, th this was when I was when I was growing up, and uh, I mean, out of seven of us, I'm one of seven, and really wow. only only one of us, one of my siblings, got into trouble. You know, all the rest of us didn't. So, you know, we can uh, get into that. But all right, so highly sensitive person. So how how would you how would you describe yourself now? Has has that changed any? I think I'm. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm still a highly sensitive person, and I can see like my kids are. But I I was able to start my meditation practice like at 27 years old, and I had been reading about mindfulness and things like that for a decade before then. And you know, until I was 27, basically for all of my life. It, um, I was really like on this kind of roller coaster, like really I would be up, but then I'd hit these real lows and hit these pits. Mm -hmm. um, like every week, every, uh, every other week, it was pretty regularly that it felt like, like I couldn't handle life. Like it was just too much for me. I, um, I remember my dad actually, like when I was 10 or 11, like I had been crying and crying and crying. I remember him rubbing my back and telling me, you know, Hunter, um, he was trying to comfort me. He was being really sweet, but he said, um, you know, Hunter, this is like your artistic temperament and life is going to always be like this. And I was like, Oh, great. Thanks. <laughs> but, but it, it was true. It was true until like I, I started until I did my meditation practice. And what happened for me is that after a couple of months of practicing regularly, finally sitting down 10 minutes, every day or so and practicing, I, I was like, after a couple of months, I was so frustrated. I was like, I just sit here thinking the whole time. This is BS. I can't do this right. Like nothing's happening for me. And, and I'm not even doing it right. But then I looked back at the rest of my life and during that time and these pits that I had regularly fallen into, like literally for my whole life, I hadn't had any of them at all for like two or three months. And that was amazing for me. It was a huge life-changing game changer for me in that it really helped me to, you know, even out, get on a more even keel, like surf those waves and not get like pulled into like a downward spiral of rumination um, and not believe my thoughts so much. I mean, it was pretty amazing. The, it was a really very profound change for me. So it made a big impact. Nice. Just write, writing down. I like that surf those waves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's not like it changed that I don't change my ability to feel all the things that we feel as human beings. Like it's not easy to be an alive human being. Like you feel <laughs> it's true. like everybody suffers, right? We feel so much like there's, there's so many challenges that happen. We deal with all these like wonderful feelings, but we also deal with anxieties and fears and anger and all these different things. And that's just part of life. Like, like pain is going to happen in life and physical pain, emotional pain, all those different things. But we can change, uh, we can change, you know, we, we're going to have pain in life, but we don't have to necessarily suffer from that, right? Yes. And that's what meditation and mindfulness really shifts and changes. We don't, we, we 
we expand this sort of window of tolerance and we make it so that we can, it's kind of like this, like, I kind of think of it as this like ancient brain hack, you know, <laughs> you just sit still long enough, you, you, you stop, like every, all the kind of mud settles. It's really amazing. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Like in my fitness classes, I'm going to say, say the word breathe. I can't tell you how many times per day. It's like, just if you just breathe, it makes it easier. You know, just, just equating it to stress. Like say we're doing a wall set or we're holding a plank or something. And I always tell people, just let, just let your mind go and just breathe. And you'll be surprised how long you can stay on that wall, you know, or how long you can hold that, that plank. But if you're just like, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. <laughs> Guess what? It's going to suck. <laughs> and you're going to end up quitting in half the time than, than what you can actually handle. And, and, and I feel that's the same way with stress. And that's why I try to make that comparison to tell people when you go into a turmoil in life, you like you have to get to the other side of it. But if you just stay there and just let it consume you, and that doesn't that doesn't give you an um I'm sorry, you're not making the steps to get through it. And it's kind of like if you take two weights and you just hold it out and just hold it out and just hold it out, at some point your shoulders are gonna be on fire. And that's what it's like holding on to stress. You know, so I just try to tell people, just lean into your breath, let your mind wander, and you'll be surprised what you can handle. Yeah, I mean, that's an incredibly skillful teaching because, like, what you're really, like, pointing to is, like, and that's what mindfulness really helps us with is, like, like our body's nervous system, right? Like, when you're you're putting your, the, your, your, the workout participants through, they're putting, going into a moment of stress, right? Because you're stressing your body and your muscles and like a physical stress like that can be very much the same as a mental stress and emotional stress. And really what it is like the body's nervous system is turning on that fight, flight, or freeze say, thing saying yes. like, oh, there's a threat. You have to be alert to that. And what happens is like, we tend to be like, no, 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 no. Like we resist it. Like, I don't want to yeah. feel this. I don't want to feel this. We <laughs> avoid it. Right. I don't want to feel this. And what your instruction does is helps them to start shift that fight, flight, or freeze response into the opposite uh, nervous system response, which is the rest and relax response. So as you breathe, which you, you can't do in like an, a truly threatening situation, right? Like where yeah. you're, you know, <laughs> that proverbial saber tooth tiger is popping out, right? Like, <laughs> You, but when you do breathe, you're you're literally changing the changing the direction of the nervous system, and 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 shifting that. And that's really what mindfulness helps us to to do as well is to like uh, to be aware of oh I'm having this nervous system response, and I have got some tools in my pocket, and I can turn that nervous system response around. Okay, love it. All right. So when did you get into this, to this field? Uh, well, so I started, I was, uh, like a yoga teacher at 27. That's when I started my meditation practice yeah. and I got into contributing to parenting when, uh, when I was really suffering and frustrated. So like when my daughter was, you know, 18 months, two years old, my first daughter, this temper came out of me. You know, and I was like, I was yelling, I was scaring her and I could see that I could see that I was scaring her. I could see that it was causing like damage to our relationship. Right. Like, and this was 
because of my upbringing, like this is exactly what I didn't want. Like this was my father's temper coming out of me. Like I remember like hiding behind a door and being scared as he came down the hall, if his, this temper was triggered and, you know, and so this was exactly what I didn't want, but it was really interesting because I could see that I could see that because of my upbringing, when she got upset and had big feelings, uh, it felt like unacceptable to me because that's what the message I was given, right? That it's not okay to be upset and have big feelings. So it really like in my body, it felt like this is unacceptable. I can't, you know, and that's when I would get triggered. And then I was like perpetuating the whole pattern. So I was like, this is a mess. You know, I, once I got up off the floor, I was so like, I felt ashamed that I had scared her, I scared her. I felt guilty. And I realized like, okay, I've got to have some tools here. So I wrote, really dove into how to parent in a more skillful way and like how to, how to calm my reactivity. Cause I really saw like, so as I started diving into these tools, I'm like, okay, I want to respond this way. You know, there are all these great parenting coaches saying, just like respond this way. This is a good way to respond. And I'm like, yeah, okay, great. But I can't do that when I'm losing it. Like, and I, you can't do that because of that fight, flight, or freeze stress response. It's really fascinating. It actually cuts off access to the uh, the the problem solving, you know, verbal empathetic parts of your yeah. brain, right? It like just literally like bypasses that. So <laughs> I saw that this world of like how to parent more skillfully, how to respond more skillfully, really needed this work that I had done then for many years with mindfulness of how to calm our reactivity, how to do those inside out changes, how to have habits that steady the heart and the mind and the nervous system, right? Like these things really needed to come together. So that's where my work comes from. Okay. And what was your, your career before that? I... Uh, well, I went to graduate school in Boston at Mass College of Art, and I was a art artist and art teacher. Uh, I taught uh, I taught art in high school for a couple of years, but as a highly sensitive person, I it, before I had my meditation practice, it was like too much for me. I actually had some panic attacks in the high school parking lot, <laughs> and I was an a an artist. And actually, so it was really interesting because some of the artwork that I got a little bit, you know, in, in a small way was, um, was work that was for me, I worked things out visually at that time was me wrestling with my temper, my anger. And I did these, uh, paintings of, of, pregnant women, nude bodies with like predator animal heads, you know, working out this, I was very, I was fascinated with this idea that, that like we as humans, we are so hard on ourselves for our, all the feelings we have. We're hard on ourselves for our, our temper, right? We're, we, we're hard on ourselves for that stress response, but like a, a predator or an animal, like another, some other animal, like no one's, they're not like getting down on themselves for getting like chasing, you know, and <laughs> you know, like, or in it. And it was also, you know, the idea of like eating meat for me was part of it. Like, you know, I wanted to be conscious and I wanted to be, do, you know, have a diet that's, that's good for the planet. And that's has, you know, uh, ha, you know, it was kind of like, I didn't want to 
I, I would prefer not to have to eat meat, but like this whole idea of like, you know, uh, I don't know, a, a, a lioness does not like shame and blame herself for, for taking care of her needs and like going after an animal or <laughs> for, for snarling or whatever. Right. And I just started to, cause we are animals. Right. And, and why, you know, so it was interesting. I was kind of wrestling with a lot of different ideas and that was in my artwork, but I, I stopped to, to, uh, when I got pregnant and I was like, okay, we can, I can mm -hmm. parent full time. Let's try it out. Okay. All right. So getting back to the parenting part. So now I'm, I'm a certified facilitator in true colors, which is a personality assessment, very mm -hmm. similar to like Myers-Briggs and DISC and all them. They, they all say the same stuff. It's just different. It's just a different layout. And what I found is everyone's different, <laughs> you know? So it's like you have the four major personality types and you already mentioned one of them being a highly sensitive person. You know, we call them the feelers. And then you have the thinkers, you have the leaders and the doers. Mm. And, and, and I find no having five, five kids, like I can see, I can see the mixture. Like my oldest daughter, she's a feeler. You know, my middle daughter, she's she's gonna be a leader like she's going to be so i i always tell her she she's a C, ceo in training mm -hmm. because she definitely has that that boss personality <laughs> whereas like my old my oldest son like he's he's a type like he needs he needs a kick a kick in the pants like he just does if you let him sit all sit all day he'll sit all day but if i'm like dude we got stuff to do then then he'll get up and get get going you know and then with the twins it's funny because they're they're twins, but they're totally opposite. <laughs> totally opposite. Like Ricky, Ricky's a go-getter, and he always has been ever since he was little, little. Like I'll just tell, tell this quick story. So we had the baby gate in the doorway. I want to say they were a little, they were both walking. So they were probably about 15, 16 months at this point. And, and Benjamin's more analytical. And so Benjamin's looking at the lock, trying to figure out how to unlock the gate. Ricky comes flying like a bat out of hell and just knocks it over. I was like, that couldn't illustrate any more perfectly how different these kids are. <laughs> you know? And so, so I found in, in my parenting style and in what I knew from the personality assessments is that I got to approach these, these guys all in different ways. Mm -hmm. Like I can't, can't just stand up with one iron fist and think that they're all going to react the same. Mm -hmm. Like it's not. So when speaking with my oldest daughter, you know, I, I got to you know keep in mind that she's a feeler, you know. So if I come at her too, too aggressively, like she's not she's not going to get that message with my older son. If I don't come at him aggressively, he's not going to react. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that like this is what you're describing is really skillful. And what you're trying to what you're doing is you're you're trying to you're what you're saying is that like I'm in relationship with each of these different people and they're all really different. Right. And that's like what you're describing is kind of being in relationship with these kids rather than like I am a parent and you, you are a child and we are I'm in this role and I have to make you do this thing. Like so it, when we can shift into I'm relationship with a human being, this human being and what you're describing is bringing curiosity to each of them. And that's like a core component of mindfulness is non-judgment or curiosity, right? And this idea that if we can bring 
curiosity, if we can start to see our kids with fresh eyes, if we, we can say to ourselves, like, who are you today? Like, can I be curious about who you are, right? That is this incredibly powerful thing. Can I be sensitive to what is it that you need, right? Versus what is it that your brother or your sister needs? Like, and can I, and that takes a lot of awareness. That takes uh, some, some giving yourself some time to, take breaks to like have rest to um and and also bring this attitude of awareness and curiosity to the kids you're in relationship with and that's a really important value actually of mindful parenting is this idea that sometimes we get into this idea that i'm in this role now of parent and i'm supposed to do it this particular way right and or i'm gonna and, and so I have to be this particular way. And, and so we kind of get stuck into these kind of the either how we were conditioned from our own family, how we're conditioned from society, or or I should be doing it this this particular way. And we we forget to bring in like this curiosity and awareness of like, um, let me slow down. Let me like start to 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 be to be curious, who is this child in front of me? What are their needs? What are they trying to say? Like this behavior that's driving me bananas and is super irritating and annoying. It's something that is meeting some need, right? Like our kids do things because they're trying to meet their needs. So can I understand like why, what's going on before I like come down with some you know, respond maybe the way my parents might have responded to me, can I start to say like, huh, what's going on with my child? Maybe I can acknowledge what's happening for them and then we can have a conversation. Does that make sense? Like that, yeah. what, that's what you're bringing. It's that wonderful curiosity and that relationship with, which is really what we need to do. Yes, and one of the most powerful words you said there was awareness. You know, it's like being, a, being aware of how your child processes information. Like, like, again, going back to my oldest daughter, the feeler, like she, she, she needs a moment. You know, it's like my young, my younger daughter, if she's feeling something, it comes out immediately. And <laughs> like, that's, that's just how she is. But with, with Olivia, she, she needs time. And then when she's ready to open up, she'll open up. And if you try to like force her to open up, she's just going to clam up even more. So it's like, all right, it's like, let her be, just let her go in her room. She'll listen to music. And when the time comes, then she'll be like, you know, can we talk? Sure. And yeah, yeah. Music, yeah, go ahead. And you're talking about that, like that awareness and then the awareness of, and, and it can go like, it can go many levels deep, like the awareness of like, um, what's going on for my child, but also what's going on for me? Like, am I just, am I thinking like I'm having a thought that like my child is manipulating me or they're doing this just to get get me right like yeah. to get my goat <laughs> and oftentimes that's not true and that's not really a helpful thing but that might be a thought that like it was conditioned in you from your family or from your society and so it really helps to kind of understand like like this thing my child did that feels totally unacceptable to me like is it more stuff i'm bringing to the table like 
some other person might not be so upset about this like orange juice on the floor or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But for me, I'm feeling like they're disrespecting my house. They don't care about me. I'm telling all these stories to myself. So this, what, what bringing a mindfulness practice to parenting really does, it helps us to not only like calm our reactivity, right? To build a muscle of calming that reactivity, being able to step into that place between stimulus and response to be actually able to like have the muscle to be able to do that pause, right? It's a practice. It really is a lot like, like your gym practice, like taking care of your body, right? We build that muscle of ability to be able to pause. And then that awareness and that taking that time to kind of understand like, oh, understand myself, I'm bringing this to the table. <laughs> and that's what our kids do to us. They're like, darling, mommy, daddy, like, here's your issue. And here's your other issue. And here's your issue, right? Like, <laughs> the things that we get really triggered by, we have to start to turn it around back to ourselves and say, why does this make me so crazy? Like, what is it about me and my life and my history? Like, why does this make me crazy? And, and when we can then we can start to like heal that stuff in ourselves, then we can just we can be more free to like really see with clarity what's happening and not like kind of clouded by the the filter of like our past. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And that and that's huge because a lot of parents don't want to hear that. Like they don't they don't want to hear that I have to check myself. Like one of one of the, the moms from my gym clients said this was maybe a year ago. She's like, she's like, Rob, you know, I've got got a problem. I'm like what? She's like, you know, my kids will only eat certain things. I said, that's because you allowed that. <laughs> you know, it's that's just how that is. Like having five kids, people are saying, oh, God, your grocery bill must be out of this world. I'm like, no, like, because I shop enough for each day. Like my, my grocery store is two tenths of a mile that way. <laughs> and so I drive by it six times a day going to, to and from the gym to teach my classes. So I, I buy in very small doses. That way they can't overeat. You know, or, or while while I'm at the gym, it's not it's not a free for all. So I set it up so it can't happen. You know, and so with all of my kids, I'm curious to, to know what you'll what you'll think of this. Well, I should, I should say with my first kid, when he he was a baby and he, he transitioned to food, you know, like we gave him all the sweet foods first, and mm -hmm. then he, he started rejecting the vegetables. Mm -hmm. You know, like you put them in, spit them right right back out. So when my daughter was born, I did it in reverse. And I gave her the vegetables first and then introduced the sweets maybe a month later. So for the first month, she had all veggies. And then once we introduced the sweets, she would still eat both. Mm -hmm. You know, and even now to this day, my oldest son despises vegetables. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So do you think there's any any link link there? Well, I'm definitely not a nutrition expert, but right. I there are some things like I know that I know that it's one thing that we want to think about, like with food, is that like we can control what and when generally, and they can control if and how much, right? Like, yeah. like the whole thing that our parents did of like, just take one more bite of that broccoli and then you'll get this. Like, that's not mm -hmm. a great strategy because it teaches them that, you know, this undesired, I have to eat this undesirable thing. I'm going to make myself eat it. And that kind of sets up a bad situation with being aware of my body's fullness, what I would like, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. So what we want to think about is like one thing we did in our family, which I thought 
was very helpful is this idea of like, you don't have to eat it, but you must taste it. And we taught them that like, you know, mm. your palate changes like, and you don't like things that a lot of things at first, nobody in the world liked beer or coffee the first time they tasted it. And, <laughs> you know, like nobody liked that. And so, yeah, like with my second child, I gave her a lot more vegetables first. And uh, that's really a great idea. But the whole idea of like, just take a, a little bite and you're allowed to totally spit it out if you don't like it. But but you can just just take a bite so that you train your palate to to learn to like different things. Yes. And I also think parents like happily we have moved away from like the old school strategy of like boiling summer squash or zucchini <laughs> and then just like saying put some butter and salt and pepper on it. And and now we can ro we roast a lot more, which is like mm. so much yummier. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> <So true. laughs> we just need to make you know make our food taste better as well like we can work on that ourselves <laughs> love it yeah it's like you know i i do my best to not make things that that the kids don't don't like but if i find a new recipe you know it's like i'll make it i'll say try it i was like if you can get through it i prefer to not waste it <laughs> but if you absolutely can't like me i despise onions anything that has onions in it i will not eat and even if i'm eating at so someone else's house i'll be like i respectfully i can't like it, it makes my stomach so upset. Like I can't mm. do it, you know? So if there are things that they just can't eat, then I don't force the issue. But I'm mm. like, it, like, if you just, like it wouldn't be your first choice, but you can get through it, go ahead and eat it. And then, and then I'll know I'll never make it again. You know? So it's, it's not like I'm in the habit of giving them stuff that they don't like to your point with the broccoli. If the kid like doesn't like broccoli, don't make them broccoli, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does take a while to build up a taste for broccoli if you have like really young kids. Mm, so you can can say, just give it a taste. You know, sometimes it takes like five to 10 times of tasting something before you like something. Think about coffee. None of us liked coffee. I, I still I like mean, coffee. <laughs> I'm one of those select few that don't drink. Yeah, I, I worked at Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> at the end of my street. So <laughs> gotcha so yeah. you were around it all day and you gave in <laughs> oh yes 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 <laughs> all right so what what so what came first the podcast or the book the podcast came first um right. yeah and the podcast came started uh in the way back in the beginning i was teaching yoga classes and I was driving to my yoga classes and I was starting to listen to podcasts. And the only things available for yoga at that time were like live classes that were available on podcasts. And I didn't want to listen to that, but I wanted to listen to people talk about mindfulness, talk about the different, like the, not just the physical yoga practice and all the other pieces. So I just like, well, I'll make this. <laughs> I'll make this podcast. And Love I started it. interviewing. My first interview was with one of my students. And I would I recorded it in the yoga studio because it was like very quiet. It was like a basement place. And it, it had great soundproofing. But it was it's been wonderful. Like since then, as I started to like transition and change, I've been able to it's so fun to like, I've been able to talk to so many people who are incredible help to me, like, you know, world renowned experts. You know, I've had Dr. Dan Siegel on. He's talked to like the Dalai Lama, you know, and, mm. and he's come on my podcast twice and he's a wonderful person. And it awesome. really is such a great connector. And uh, obviously I love to talk. So it, it's fun <laughs> for me. <laughs> Works for me as well. Same, same thing. As I mentioned, when they closed the gyms down last year, I was like, 
all right, I can just sit, sit here and cry about this or we can pivot and do something else. And so we started doing something else. And like I told you backstage, I started with just one, one show. It was just on Wednesdays. And then I joined this Facebook group and the admin allowed us to promote in the group because not all groups allow that. And so it's like, all right, I just put up just one post and I, and I booked that one day out for like four months. I was like, oh, so I was like, all right, let me add a second day and then booked that one out. <laughs> and then I added a third day. And even now I'm doing four and I'm booking into late March, early April of 2022. Like it's, it's insane. Mm. so but like when you first start you just get that imposter syndrome like all right who's gonna who's gonna want to li listen to me when joe rogan's out there and shannon sharp is out there like all these celebrities are out there with their podcast but like we're being heard in 28 different countries now you know what i mean it's it's insane yeah it's fun to see like where people listen and to see the different downloads in different countries and to yeah. just reach out to this sort of like global world it's really amazing really is right at your fingertips it's awesome all right so what was your motivation for writing your book well i first created the mindful parenting course to like bring in all i as i started like kind of sharing my story i eventually did uh i i i started doing all these trainings like i wanted to learn i got a certified as a parent effectiveness training teacher i'm a certified mindfulness meditation teacher i did some coaching training and I started to work with clients on these things and I've made it into this course. And I, because that piece about how to calm our reactivity, how to, you know, take care of our big feelings, how to understand our triggers, this all really needed to talk to the communication piece. And so I'll start with the course. And then I started to take, I took the eight modules of the course and I started to bring it into the, into the book. And the book is short. It's not like, you know, it's less than 200 pages. It's like a lot of exercises and it's, and in it, I think people are resonating with the fact that, you know, I was sucking at this job. That was the most important <laughs> thing to me. Like, I was this person, I was used to pre being pretty good at doing things. You know, I could get the good grades and I, did grad school and I could do all these different things. And then I get then these like little human beings are like bringing me to my knees and I couldn't just choose how I wanted to be right. Like there were all these like patterns and habit energies that were preventing me from just deciding how I want to be and doing it. And so I had to like deal with that. And so I think people really resonate with there's a lot of compassion in there because this is not easy. Like it brings up so much for us. It's really hard for us, you know, and we're not going to do it perfectly. Like I still don't do it perfectly. Nobody's going to do it perfectly. And it's not something we can do perfectly. Like the very best we can do is good enough. Like that's maximum <laughs> parenting is like good enough parenting. And that's okay. Cause like, that's what our kids need. They need, they actually, like, if, if we were perfect all the time, they would say, well, what's wrong with me? Why do I have all these big feelings? Why, why do I make mistakes and mess up? You know, mom or dad, like they're, they're just right here. And I, there must be something wrong with me. So they need us to see us like make mistakes and fail and then come back and repair and, and learn how to recover and take care of those things. You know, they need to see, like that process of us healing our own wounds 
and becoming more peaceful, becoming more grounded. Like that's an awesome process for our kids to see us in our humanity becoming a better person. Like that's an incredibly powerful journey for kids to watch. See, and, and I think also too, like when you just said, well, well, what is wrong with me as the parent? One thing I always say is that sometimes the expectation is too high for the age. It's like pe people have to remember oh, it takes 18 years before we even label them a somewhat adult. <laughs> 18 years, you know, that's a long time. So for my 12-year-old boys, I mean, yes, I've been telling them since they were four, did you put on deodorant? Did you brush your teeth? It's, it's the same thing every single day, every day. And it's like, guys, like I've been telling you this for seven years now, seven and a half <laughs> years, and it hasn't yet registered before you leave for school to put on deodorant and brush your friggin' teeth. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things that that's, that's why they need us. <laughs> they need us. If your if your standard is here, that you expect the room to be clean and you expect the dishes to be done and you expect everything thing to be done, and when it's not, you can go rip roaring mad. But it's like again, your expectation is too high for the age. <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, <laughs> and I so feel you about the repetition of things, yes. and it's incredibly <laughs> frustrating. But like, kids are by definition immature. Like that is like, they are by definition, they're not mature. Their brains don't mature into the, into their twenties. Yeah. Right. And so it seems it's some, like, we don't realize how crazy it is. Like, we're like, um, I need you to be perfect. I need you to stop crying and you to calm down when we can't like, that's exactly. BS. Like that's nuts. Exactly. You know, none of us, like, I don't, if, if you were in my house and I said, Hey, Robert, we got to go and it's time to put on your shoes. And you didn't like respond instantly to that. I wouldn't get all mad at you and pissy because I would grant you a little grace. Like that's what we do with adults as humans. We, we cut each other slack, but yeah. for some reason with kids, we have this mindset of like, Oh, instant obedience, right? Or, or, and I should only have to say something once, which is bananas. None of us get to like learn something like instantly the first time, like what adult learns something perfectly instantly the first time. Yet we have this expectation for kids. Like that doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's like what a mindfulness practice kind of helps us to like see these, the stuff that we're carrying. Like, this is like what I mean by like this filter we're carrying. Like, are you carrying a filter of like, oh, I would never expect my partner, my spouse to like jump up instantly when I ask them to do something. But with my kids, not only do I not ask, I command them. And then I get all upset that they're not like instantly obedient. Like there's a real disconnect there with the way that the, th the things we expect from children and the things we expect from adults. We got, we're going to have to repeat ourselves a bazillion different times. So we might as well be repeating language that we want to hear her, you know, repeated back to us or language we want to hear um, used with their younger siblings, right? We might as well be using skillful language that, you know, we want them to, to use because you're going to have to repeat yourself. That's just part of the frustrating process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I open the bathroom door and this towels on the floor. And I'm like, boys, <laughs> it's like, I don't understand why this is so hard. Like there's a towel rack right here. 
They're like, it's right here. <laughs> and they constantly, they get out of the shower, drop the towel on the floor every single time. You know, I had a podcast guest on that was so instructive, or actually, I don't know if I've even, anyway, his, his name is Aaron and he runs a treatment center for kids who have really had incredible troubles, who have had um, a lot of suicide and things like that. And, um, and I'm not gonna remember the name of it, but I want to give him a shout out. But he, what he said to me is like, how, so I asked him, I said, how can we prevent our kids from getting to your treatment center? <laughs> right? Like, I don't want my kids to get <laughs> to the it. point where they're like done all those drugs and are suicidal. How do we prevent our kids from getting to this point? And he had two things that were incredibly important that I thought was so interesting. And one of the first thing he said was our own self-care, right? Like taking care of ourselves so that we can be this like grounded presence so that we can have what you described earlier, that awareness of like, who are you as a person, this curiosity, right? So if we take care of ourselves, we fill our own cup, we we go to the gym, we, we get our yayas out, we, we take care of ourselves, then we can have the energy, the presence of mind, et cetera, to give to our children. And the second thing he said was a group of adult friends for you to talk to, for you to be around, for you to be able to get your own stuff out, for you to say, what the heck is wrong with my kids? Why can't they ever pick up their towels? You know, like to have that like sounding board so that then you can come and be with your kids and you can be more present, more grounded. And I thought, oh my God, this is exactly what I've been teaching. And this is what he's saying for like the very you know, worst, you know, this is like for the most challenging kids out there. It's the same stuff. It all comes back to us grounding ourselves and healing ourselves. Yes. So in my opening speech, I mentioned coping skills. How, how do you feel about the way this younger generation and I can't I can't lump them all in the same box, but how but how they cope? Because we're the parents. <laughs> we're the parents of this of this age group, you know, so so it's like, what do you what do you attribute it to? Because like uh, teen suicide is like highest, highest it's been in a while and you know, there's just so so many other factors that that are going going into it, and I always equate it back to lack of coping skills. But where do you think it stems from, in your opinion? I don't know. I mean, that's there's so many factors, right? It's such a complex issue. You know, there's so many different things that are attributing, it. and it's a not a great. It's not, it's a scary world, right? Like our planet, my teens, your teens are dealing with. So I didn't know. But I kept putting it out there and I kept writing it down every day. And then we went away to a cottage last summer and like two years ago now. And we had this beautiful cottage on a lake and I had work. Learn a lot from us, right? Like we are modeling in every moment how to be in the world, right? And, you know, we've got to have our own coping skills and then we can share those coping skills with our kids. If we are always looking at the wow. And I was like, okay, I have no choice but to not work at all and just be present with my family. And it was amazing. And it was the first time in years where I'd really like just been able to be totally present and not thinking about work. We do. Then they're not going to learn it from us, right? We didn't have the, we didn't have the, you know, 
uh, the whole world at our fingertips, right? Like the most powerful computer and the most interesting distractions of the world always at our fingertips. Life coaches, but I'm like, I have no idea what this even is. Mm. So I clicked on it and I was like, okay, this is exactly what I want to do. This is it. And funny my husband took the kids to the park they got home and he's more the skeptical I'm more like the big and their own like uh critical thinking all that stuff like being able to talk that's like the most important thing our kids need in this world and they need like connections IRL with other people right so we have to prioritize that in our own lives and model that for him then so like in our house we take a screen free Sunday so we take a, a break, like we take a break from the phones, we don't have TV, we don't use the internet. And it's just like to take a breather from this constantly connected world and connect with like the real world, like real people we see in person, <laughs> like trees and, you know, animals and all those different things. And like that mm -hmm. is so healing. And so we have to model all those things that are really healthy coping skills for, for us. Love it. Yeah. And just to add on to that is to give them a positive outlet, you know, things like being in nature or just something so simple, like, like, what? cause I live by Roger Williams park. Hmm. And so I'll walk over there with, with the boys, like we'll skip rocks in the lake, you know, just, just doing something where we're together. And that's, that's so, I, I think that's so important. It's so important because so many times kids are just plopped down with their device. And, you know, pa parents don't don't take that. And again, I can't lump all, all parents together. This is just what I see. If I'm like out, out and about in a store and the kid's having a tantrum and the, the parent just hands them the phone, you know, it's like, it's like that's not working through that. Like you're just putting a Band-Aid on it and the kids know it. If I just pitch a fit, I'll, I'll get the phone, <laughs> you know? So it's like, I-, I Yeah, always, yeah. No, uh, I, it breaks my heart to see like a toddler in a stroller with a device, like going for a walk in a beautiful place. I have yeah. a lot of compassion for the parent in the grocery store. Like that sucks. Like you've got embarrassment, all that stuff is happening. I don't know what's happening in your life. Maybe, you know, maybe who knows, but yeah, no, I get, we don't want that to be, we don't want that to be the go-to like, let's yeah. just shut them down and, and plug into this distraction world to like see a toddler walking through Roger Williams park with in a stroller with, with a, a device is, breaks my heart because that should be that's that's depriving that kid of like the the walk itself should be the interesting thing right exactly. like you're really shifting you're really changing the brain and that's going to have negative repercussions down the line it's going to escalate you know i think it's really important to like it's kind of like the screens are like our the equivalent of like sugar you know we, oh, we yeah. know we don't want True. kids to have like before the age of two, we basically want to like keep as much, you know, as if we get to zero screen time and zero sugar for the age of two, like that's the kind of the North star thing we're going for, because we know that even though it's something we crave, it's something we like, it, it feels really good. We didn't evolve to get like the doses of it that we have in this day. And that those are damaging. Fit. Is that worth it? Because yes, habit change is hard. Going after our dreams is hard, but it's worth it. So it's like, okay, what are you, what will get you motivated enough to actually do the work and make it happen? Because once we can 
once we can, you know, dive, drill down into that and see the big motivator, our big why, then that helps get rid of those obstacles, or at least makes us want to overcome them in a way that maybe see, we haven't before. Agreed. And, and it's about getting to the actual why. You know, when, when mm-hmm. people, when, <laughs> oh man, I've been called out. <laughs> 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 no, it's like people people will come come to me and I say the same thing. I say you got you gotta stop it with the BS excuses. I said and they're like, oh it's not BS, it, it's it's valid. I said it doesn't matter if it's valid, an excuse is an excuse. <laughs> That's what, what it is. I, ha- I have someone who comes in, she's late almost all the time. And she's like, oh well, you know, it's, there was traffic and there was that. I said, No, you're not leaving early enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's about accountability, like you said, yeah. with the tough, with the tough love. It's like if you want the goal, you have to do the work. You can't go cutting corners and expect to still get there. It doesn't work that way, and that that's in every facet of life. It doesn't work that way. I mean, yeah, you can hit the lottery, but most of them go go broke. And why? Because there was no discipline in attaining that thing. And so yeah. once people can realize it's on me, I have to do this. Even though people come to me, I say, it's just my job to give you the blueprint. <laughs> and then you yeah. still have to do the work. I can give you the meal plans. I can give you the motivational text messages. I can have the private Facebook group. None of that matters if you're not ready to put the work in. Exactly. <laughs> and that's like the number one thing I hammered that down to people. Yeah. And I would say to the hard part, like I work with a lot of working moms and who like myself, right? Like my well, my wellness was at the bottom of the priority list. I didn't have time. I didn't have energy, all those reasons. And so now working with a lot of these working moms, and then when it comes to like investing in themselves, it's hard. So that's where I go to too. What is this costing you? What is not investing in yourself costing you? You know, with your health, and like chronic illness is huge. Like it's on the rise now with stress and just not taking care of ourselves. So I'm like, so if you had to take a leave of absence from work, that would cost you. Yep. Your marriage is on the rocks right now. Like that's costing you. You feel like you're not a good mom. You feel like your work's slacking. Like you don't have the productivity. So that's the other piece that really like, you know, I tend to look at is investing in yourself. Yes, comes it costs us to invest in ourselves, but it usually outweighs what could happen if we don't invest in ourselves. There it is. I was just about to jump in and say, and say like things cost, you know, things cost. When, when you're bettering yourself, that's the best investment you can make. That was yeah. the absolute best investment. Cause so, someone asked me like, Rob, what motivates you to, to, to be fit? I said, cause being unhealthy sucks. that's why like I was unhealthy one time one time I lost I lost my my vision and I I think it was like 228 pounds I want to say and I'm six foot two so it stretches but still for me and my comfort level I felt disgusting and I was like I will never ever ever feel that again never and I didn't and and I had seven surgeries and I still never got even over 200 pounds let alone 220 and just because I I made it that I made it a priority, I said mm-hmm. so for for me it's about that, and I'm also an athlete. So even at 47, I still compete. I play basketball, I play softball, I play volleyball, I still run tra- track meets, and I do obstacle course races. So it's like for for me, it's about being able to still compete. 
you know, being, being out there on the basketball court with the 25 year olds and can still hold, hold my own. So like, I have to keep my body right in order to compete as an athlete. So people have to find what is that thing that you want. Yeah. And if you're not motivated to get it, you don't want that thing. <laughs> that, yeah. That's what it boils down really? to. It's like, it's like you're lying to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about like another big thing I work on too, is how you frame your goals. Because like and a personal example for me is for years, I wanted to get pregnant and it didn't happen. I couldn't get, I couldn't get pregnant. And it wasn't until I took a step back and was like, okay, what is my true goal? Is it to get pregnant? Well, no, my true goal is to be a mom. Okay. How else can I be a mom? Oh, we can adopt. Okay. We're going to adopt our kids. So that's the other thing too, is sometimes we get so focused on that goal and it may not work for us. It may not be the right goal. It may never happen. So then it's taking a step back and looking at, is there another way to go at it and get this result in a reframing of your goal? Yes. Yeah. I had someone come to me about starting a podcast and she's like, I really, I really don't like being on camera. I was like, so do it audio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, do it audio. Like, you, yeah. you can do it that way. If if you you don't want to do that that either, be a blogger. Write down yeah. your feelings. I was like, you can still you can still do that thing. You have to find what works for you. Like, mm -hmm. I, I tell people, you know, I I want to market. I want to grow grow a list or do do whatever. And it's like, no, I don't really like talking on the phone. I'm like, you know, you can text. Like, we're we're <laughs> in a texting age now. So yeah. if you don't want to talk on the phone, you can text. Like. For me, I like to be face to face. So when people say, "Hey, hey, can I call you?" I said, "Yeah, let's jump on the Zoom." You know, because we have that option. It's like I like to see the people, I like to see the facial expressions, and you can just see and feel the energy better on video. For me, you know, that works mm -hmm. for for me. So people just yeah. have to figure out, like, all right, what works for me? You know, exactly. it's like, and what is that thing that you're working for? Because if you're not motivated to do it just on your own, you don't want it. You know, I know I just said that, but it's worth repeating again, you know, so you don't mm -hmm. want it. All right. Yeah. So how can sorry, so um how can people get in touch with you? So they can find me. Um my website is path to presence.ca. And actually I also do a weekly wellness blog where I where I send out tips. Um I'll do certain challenges that I notify subscribers to, and they can find out all about my services on there. I'm also on Instagram at pathtopresence.ca on Instagram. I didn't spell um, that right, did I? No, you did. Yeah, that's perfect. Oh, I, oh, I did. Okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah. you, you, usually I have all the links pre-done, pre but because we started late, <laughs> I, didn't get a chance to, I didn't get a chance to put them in. No, it looks good. <laughs> all right. Awesome. So give us some final words. Final words. So yeah, I just, you know what, call your call yourself out on BS. I think that's a big thing that holds us back is, yes, you know, just giving ourselves an okay to have all these excuses. Well, stop. Don't let yourself have excuses. Think about what you want and how you can get it and go after it. Because yes, it's hard work, but it is worth it. Absolutely. See, and that's, that's the big part that people miss. It's like it's hard work, but it's worth it. But it's it's hard work to be unfulfilled every single day. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, it's raining. It's I, exhausting. Yes, I'm way more. Yes. I am like 
I go down to New Jersey for a Spartan race. We go, we went up to New Hampshire to run a Tough mutter. We went out to other side of New Hampshire to go hiking. And like all these events are scheduled far in advance. You know, so when, when her schedule comes, I tell her like, yeah, I can do nine out of, out of the 11 of these. And she's okay with that. Cause you know, I'm going to be there more than I'm not. And then on the one that, that I'm not, that's where these come into play where, you know, her mom can send me videos and vice versa. When her, when her, when her mom can't be there, I'll take videos.